G'day everyone, welcome to my latest podcast episode, it's Glenno here, I hope everyone has been well. In today's episode we're going to discuss about my followers on Instagram, why have I gone from 11,500 down to under 6 and, it's, and it keeps going down, I'll explain what's going on there. Also too, um, two significant events that happened in history this week, I will go into the two of them, one happened back in 1993 and the other happened exactly 10 years ago this week. And I'll go into what happened with those events and my memories of it. So let's get into it. Okay, now last Sunday, I attended uh, a wedding, a mate of mine that I work with. And um, I think I mentioned in the last podcast that I was going to a wedding. And um, it was up at Sanctuary Cove. And it was, a, it was a beautiful wedding. I'll just briefly go into what happened. So uh, Chris and Diane, they, they both actually work with me at the uh, company that we, we all work for. And uh, they got engaged about a year ago and they got married last Sunday. Congratulations to them. And uh, I was honoured to be invited to the wedding. Um, I actually was asked to photogra- um, to take photos of their wedding as well. But I, I actually declined because um, wedding photography, for those out there that do it, it is very stressful and uh, it's not really uh, my style. My photography's good style is landscape uh, photography and I have done the odd portrait here and there and I might be doing actually some portrait work next weekend as well. Uh, just a friend of mine approached me. Um, but when it comes to wedding, this, it's just um, I had to say no, unfortunately, because, well, unfortunately for them because it's just uh, – the stress and the pressure and getting everything right, I just don't think I could handle that. So they they end up getting another photographer. Uh, and I forgot to actually ask who she was, but she did a fantastic job. She had two bodies. That's two camera bodies, not two bodies on her. And she actually had them, uh, it's like this, they were hung to her. She had like a brace on and she just had the cameras clipped on and just used uh, one body obviously was more of a wide angle. And I think the other body would have had the 70 to 200 lens on it. So um, she did a fantastic job. I've seen a couple of uh, sneak pictures and they look pretty good. So uh, so I was up at Sanctuary Cove and um, there's actually a little chapel there. I've never been to Sanctuary Cove before. And uh, they've got the chapel there and it probably sits probably 70 to 80 people. And uh, then after the wedding ceremony finished about 3, 3.30, then we had a couple of hours to chill. As most weddings, there's always that gap where the bridal party and family members go and take photos. And then we just went to a bar there and um, had a few drinks and a chat. And the ceremony started, I think, about 6, 6.30 in, um, in like a function room. I think there was about 70, 80 guests. I think there was about 10 tables or 11 tables. And uh, the food was lovely. And dessert was lovely, coffee was lovely, the company was lovely, and um, the wedding cake was really good too. It had, um, I think it was like a three or four tier cake, and each cake, apparently, I didn't realise this until after the wedding, each cake had a different flavour to it. So I had the caramel one, and they had other flavours as well, so... um, it is, weddings are long, I mean that's another reason why I don't think I could take photos of weddings, but um, you know, you're there at 2 o'clock for the beginning of the ceremony and you're not, I didn't drive out of there until after 11, so it's 8, 9 hours and uh, that's probably the first wedding I've been to, I think in about 9 or 10 years, the last wedding I attended I think was in Sydney, a friend of mine David that I used to 10 pin bowl with, he got married and I 
think it was around 2010 or 2011. Might have been 2012. I can't actually remember. So it's around the eight or nine year mark since I've been to a wedding. So I'm not. They do drag on, but I did have a good time. So um, that was that's what happened to me last week, and I've sort of been out taking photos. I haven't really been. We haven't had really the best skies. We've still got a lot of dust and smoke up here from those bushfires that I mentioned in the last podcast. It has eased significantly. Although looking out the window today, it's still a bit of dust and haze around. I took full advantage of that and took some nice sunset and sunrise photos, like a real smoky uh, with the haze on the horizon and that, and got a few good pics um, from there. And uh, I've got my hands on a Nikon 200 to 500 that my friend Steve Barati has loaned me, so I'm using that for the next week or so. So I've been... Um, there's a lookout up at Corumban there where it overlooks the runway at Gold Coast Airport, and I've been taking photos using that lens. So I've just been doing that. And other than that, I've just been doing the usual work and house chores and shopping, pretty much what everyone else does. So that's what's been happening for me for the last week or so. Now, we'll go on Instagram now. Now, I know this podcast is mainly photography-related um, over the last few episodes, and I do try and talk about different things and that. But uh, one thing that I've noticed uh, with Instagram, I know there's been lots of changes over the last several years with the algorithm and now the likes have disappeared. I don't know if that's a permanent thing still or if that's still a trial um, and and stuff like that. But um, I've got an app on my phone that actually can see who has unfollowed you, who doesn't follow you back and that. I don't normally check it. Every now and again I do just out of curiosity. And uh, this app that I'm referring to is did a major upgrade not long ago and um, it actually now lists your ghost followers. Now what a ghost follower is, is basically someone who has signed up on Instagram and they've used the They've used the platform for some time or maybe a week or a month and then they sort of realise it's not for them and they lose interest and they don't use it anymore. So what they do is they either just delete the app or they just leave it dormant on their phone and they don't bother checking it. And what happens is that they become a ghost follower because there's no activity uh, with those people. A lot lot of ghost followers are also automated accounts where people make up uh, fake accounts and that and they automatically follow and unfollow and that but that's something I don't really want to get into but most of the ghost followers are people that are have signed up and realize Instagram's not for them and it's not for everyone um, Instagram everyone can use it you don't have to be a professional you don't even have to have a camera you can still just use your own uh, camera on your phone just to take happy snaps and post up so people lose interest and they become a ghost follower so they're not losing um, they're not they're not interacting with you. So this app actually tells you who the ghost followers are, and I was actually surprised when I checked that out of the eleven and a half thousand followers I've got, I've got about six. I was actually more. I think it was eight or nine thousand ghost followers. Now I don't know how accurate it is, but I thought I'd give it a go. So for the last week and a half, I've been getting rid of my ghost followers, and how it works is. It shows you all the ghost followers and it gives you a few options where you can block and unblock them. And obviously if they were legitimate followers and they just were having a break on Instagram, they can re-follow you again. 
Um, and also, too, I'm just getting the app up now. Let's just give me – it also gives you the option of um, doing a mass block where you just simply just block them so they can't refollow you again or mass unfollow friends in the list. So basically the other option is you can unfollow people that are not interacting with you, even though you're liking their photos, which I accidentally have done. So I've accidentally unfollowed about 80 to 90 people who, according to this app, don't like or comment on any of my photos. Now, I'm not saying they haven't. According to the app, they haven't. Now, I don't think the app's 100%. My apologies to those I have unfollowed. If you have seen that I'm not following you or you're not following me and you used to, feel free to get in contact with me and if you feel free so we can uh, follow each other again and then I can put you on what is called a white list and what a white list is is that will exclude you in future when I run the app so it won't uh, block and unblock you if, if you're a genuine um, user. That's how it works. Now this app that I've got is called Followers Chief. It seems to be the most uh, accurate uh, um, app that I use, and it just tells you who who recently have unfollowed uh, people that you know unfollow you back or haven't followed you back, and just stuff like that. But I mainly use it for the ghosts, so that's what I've been doing. And I'm down now to I think just over six thousand followers from eleven and a half. So I've actually got rid of five thousand people. It gets rid of a hundred followers at a time. Now, I know Instagram has certain rules where if you block and unblock 200 people in an hour or so forth, uh, you can be banned by Instagram or they can put you on the, they can put you on the, the naughty list where you, you won't be able to have any activity on Instagram for a while and that. So they've obviously arranged, they've, they've done this app. So it only lets you block and unblock 100 people at a time. And so far, I haven't had any issues on IG. Now... It's still saying I've got 4,500 ghost followers. Now, when I finish this, I'm probably going to have less than 2,000 genuine followers. Now, I know a lot of people, I put a story about this on Instagram, and um, a lot of people have sort of frowned upon it saying, you know, that's, that's a ballsy move to do that, to lose all your followers. Because what the, one of the first things I've given up in doing this is the ability now to post a link on a story where you have the swipe up option. And they're for only people that have got more than 10,000 followers where you can put a link in. So for example, if I put new content on my website or if there's a YouTube video I wanna share or anything you wanna share that's got a link, you put the link in um, in that section and people can swipe up or press or tap down the bottom and then it goes to that website. And that's what I used to do when I used to put a new podcast up or a new photo up on my website, or if there was a new blog I'd put up um, on my website, I would tell via Instagram stories, my followers, I've got a new blog up or I've got a new podcast up, and if they so wish, they can tap or swipe up, it'll take them straight to my website, they can listen to the podcast or watch or, or, or look at the new blog that I've put up. Now, I'm no longer able to do this because I'm under 10,000 followers, but I generally believe that um, I'm not a numbers person, but maybe in a way I am, admittedly. I just want to have genuine people follow me. Um, one thing I want to make clear 
11 and a half thousand followers. I know I've had work friends and people say, wow, Glenn, you got a lot of followers in that, but they don't realise that most of them are ghosts and I'm not prepared to bloat about that. And I just tell them that the majority of the followers are probably no longer using the platform and my true following is probably under 2,000. Um, I've posted one or two photos since starting this program and my likes are still the same as they were before. So obviously... Uh, that just goes to prove how many ghost followers I did have. And uh, I don't have a problem going back underneath 2,000 followers again, and I'll probably never, ever get up to 10,000 again because I'm not aggressive using the platform like I probably was a few years ago. You know, I won't lie that, you know, it was good when you got to 10,000 followers and that, but I think in this day and age of Instagram, there's so many people that have got over 10,000 followers, it's not really an issue or a big deal anymore if you do reach that milestone. But if you have, congratulations, you know, and I wish you all the best. But uh, i personally not fussed about it. Um, I just want genuine people, the people that interact with me um, over the years, they're still on board with me, obviously. And, they're, and, they're, and that's all I want to do. I'm not out to um, have a career via Instagram or anything like that. So I'm prepared to sacrifice the followers I did have just to prove to myself and prove to everyone that um, I'm not worried about numbers and I don't care if it's below 2,000 again and so forth. So that's just want to set the record straight for people wondering why my followers have dropped dramatically over the last two weeks. And that's the reason, because I'm using an app that's getting rid of the ghost followers. And then once it gets down to um, the amount of followers that I, the true followers I have, I'll keep my eye on it and I'll run it once a month. So any new followers that come on, if they haven't liked or commented in that month or six-week period, then I'll get rid of them as well. So that's the story with that. It's a good little program. It's probably not 100% accurate. I probably do believe that some people that did generally follow me have disappeared off my list and they were liking photos, but that's the risk I'm prepared to take. And once again, my apologies if that happens. So uh, that's the story there, and I will continue to use Instagram. And as I stated in the last podcast, I'm far from interested like I used to be. I think I might I put up one photo a week or one photo a fortnight or I think this week I might put a couple of photos up this week, but then that's it, yeah. I'm not posting every day or every second day like I used to. Um, it's still there. I still get on every now and again and try and interact as much as I can, but uh, I just don't want Instagram to consume my life anymore. Now, on this day, back in 1993, Sydney erupted, and this is the reason. The winner is Sydney. Yes, September 23, 1993, we won the Olympic Games, we won the bid, and um, we won by two two votes over Beijing. And uh, I remember back then I was working at a factory. I was only 21 years of age. And I was at night shift back then, so I was doing 3 to 11. And uh, if I can remember rightly, when I finished work at 11 o'clock, I knew they were going to announce the uh, winning city about 4.30 or 4am the following day. And I think me and one of my best mates, I think I picked him up after work and we drove straight in the city. I may have gone home first to get changed, sorry. 
Then I went into the city and somewhere I parked in the city. I can't remember if it was in the Rocks area or somewhere. Somehow I managed to get a parking spot. And I was actually there when they announced it um, about 4.20 or 4.30 in the morning on a lovely September morning in Sydney. And when they announced the winner is Sydney, I've never, ever experienced such joy and um, the, the and atmosphere in all my life was that moment when uh, Sydney was announced to host the 2000 Olympic Games. And I managed to get home just after sunrise and uh, they lit the sails up of the Opera House too. They had like five different colours, which I think was the um, the colours of the Olympic rings. So that's probably the first time that the Opera House was actually lit up. I know it happens at Vivid every year now. So it was really exciting. There was fireworks. It, it was all happening. And, and strangers were just cuddling and hugging each other. I think a girl kissed me on the lips. I've got no idea who it was. I was only young. I went back home and got four or five hours sleep, and I was back at work at 3 o'clock the next day. And uh, for that next seven years, the atmosphere in Sydney was unbelievable. The lead-up to the Games, everyone was excited. There were concerns of traffic, um, especially my workmates were saying, oh, Glenn, the traffic's going to be horrendous when the Olympics is on. And people said that about the Commonwealth Games up here on the Gold Coast. But uh, when the Olympics did occur, there was no issues with traffic. There were a lot of businesses that actually shut down for that time, if I remember rightly. We kept going, but there were businesses that closed for a week or so just to, for everyone to allow to have holidays or for those that wanted to go and were lucky enough to actually attend the Olympics. And uh, when when the Olympics did eventuate in the year 2000, um, I didn't attend the Olympics, but I, I, could, I remember seeing the flame from where, if I'm driving down Old Windsor Road towards Parramatta, you could see the, the Olympic Stadium uh, plain as day. But I don't think you can now because there's trees have grown and there's the buildings in Parramatta are a lot bigger now. But you, I remember distinctively remember seeing that flame all the way from Old, Win Old Windsor Road. And um, around that time, uh, no, I wasn't married, but I was seeing a girl at the time and uh, she was actually a manager at one of the McDonald's stores in Western Sydney. And she was actually asked to work. They set up a big McDonald's uh, store on the site where the Olympic Games was held. And uh, I remember dropping her off and picking her up because uh, she wasn't able to park a car there. And just the atmosphere, just driving around the Olympic Stadium, that was absolutely unbelievable. And um, and she said it was an experience that she'll never forget, you know, seeing all these different athletes come in from all different countries and having, having some McDonald's, which I'm sort of surprised given that uh, – you know, when you're competing and that, that's probably the last thing you should be eating. But probably for the athletes that finish their events and that and let their hair down, they set up a big McDonald's there. And it was also for the media and for staff and probably general public as well. Maybe it was a general public, I can't remember. So that's my memories of uh, what happened um, this day, uh, September 23, 1993, when they announced that Sydney hosted the Olympic Games. And I'm very fortunate that... Uh, I can go through my life and, and witness the event that happened in Sydney. And I'm sure there's still a few people around that, that that were there for the Melbourne Games back in 1956. And they've luckily got to see two Olympic Games in their lifetime in one country. Now, Brisbane is bidding for the 2032 Games. 
So it'll be very interesting to see if Brisbane do win the bid. I'm not sure when they're going to announce that. It's generally about seven years before the actual Olympics. So if you base it on Sydney's bid, 93 to 2000, I think the um, announcement for the 2032 games will be around 2024, 2025. But it could have been changed now. I'm not too sure. So I just thought I'd give you a bit of... uh, a history on on how it was back then, and um, it's certainly people that remember that day. Um, that's memories that'll always be in their mind for the rest of their life. Wow, twenty six years ago, when we won the bid to host the Olympic Games in the year two thousand, I uh, I'm just gobsmacked by that how how fast time has gone since then, and and it's been nineteen years since the Sydney Olympics in the year two thousand. That uh, Time is just going too fast. I think I'm going to do a podcast about time. Mind you, when I was at school, a six-hour day between the hours of 9am and 3pm was probably the longest six hours of my life, probably because I hated school with a passion. Um, But an eight-hour day at work, if you're busy, goes pretty fast these days, and I think it's all in the mind. Um, Time certainly goes faster as you get older. Uh, When you're a kid, it seems to go real slow, but uh, I think it's just a, a mindset thing. So um, 19 years since the Sydney Olympics, eh? Well, there you go. So uh, now another milestone is uh, September 23, 2009 is 10 years ago. It was when Sydney and most of the east coast of Australia had its worst dust storm. Now, Melbourne had a big dust storm back in 1983, I think it was. That was a pretty significant event. And uh, Sydney, um, they've had dust haze and so forth plenty of times, but not like a dust storm. I remember waking up and driving to work, and I thought at first it was fog. And I thought to myself, because you can get fog in Sydney around August, September, and um, then it sort of was around 6.30, so the sun had already come up. Yeah, yeah, the sun was already up. And it was like a, a red haze, and visibility was maybe a couple of hundred metres at best. And uh, I drove to work, and uh, it was all over the radio. And uh, we were debating whether we should work in these conditions or not. We were supplied dust masks, so even though we're working in a factory, obviously the dust did get inside the factory because we've got open doors and so forth, and uh, I just can't remember by memory when the dust cleared. I think it was after lunch it finally cleared off the coast, but it was a memorable event. Now, back then, um, I I forgot to check, but um, there's a few images on Flickr. Uh, Flickr was only just starting out back then, and that was sort of the only social media channel um, where photographers back then that were taking photos would upload their images. Uh, I think obviously Facebook was around too, so they probably put photos on Facebook, but it was more Flickr back then. And um, not long ago, I was actually Googling um, the 2009 Sydney dust storm and a few images did come up on Flickr and they were absolutely amazing. Now you can imagine in this day of age if we had a dust storm in Sydney, Oh, my goodness, it would go into meltdown. Social media would probably crash because everyone, even people with smartphones, because back then I think smartphones were only just coming, only just starting. I think I had an iPhone 3 back in 2009. Um, 
and back then the cameras were very ordinary for a smartphone, but even so, now, if you had a significant event like a dust storm now in Sydney or any capital city in Australia, you can imagine the amount of photographers and so forth that would, would be out and about to capture it, because it is a probably to some a once-in-a-lifetime event. I'm just looking at an article from the Sydney Morning Herald from 2009 and um, I'm just going to go through the article and explain what had actually happened that particular morning. So um, we were in drought back then out in the um, in western New South Wales and that and a cold front uh, come through, a pretty strong front, and it just lifted up all the dust Um from out in western New South Wales, and the momentum of the front happened to—it uh, happened to make Sydney. Um, and uh, just a few things, so it caused havoc with the city's transport system, no doubt. Uh, visibility was reduced to a few hundred meters. Um, the city-bound lanes on the M5 East Tunnel were closed because of the dust in the tunnel. And uh, the RTA, as it was known back then, it's now RMS, but it used to be the RTA, urged drivers across the state to exercise caution and reduce speed due to significant dust over the city. And it also affected Newcastle, the Central Coast. Um, I didn't realise that it affected the Gold Coast and Brisbane, though. They got the dust storm as well, but I think they got it later in the day. So Brisbane and the Gold Coast also got this storm, but I think the dust was the dust was more um, stronger in, in Sydney. Um, a number of incoming international flights were diverted to Melbourne and Brisbane, and uh, some flights did manage to land in Sydney. Uh, the airport was not closed. There's some of the reports saying the airport was closed. The ferries were also suspended due to poor visibility on the harbour. You can imagine, looking at the photos from that event, um, it was worse than a fog, I reckon. Um, emergency services were stretched to the conditions. The ambulance service back then said it experienced an increase in calls from asthma sufferers as a result of the dust haze, which is not surprising at all. Uh, the fibre grade also received hundreds of calls, uh, mainly between the early hours of the morning and 7am, from the automatic fire alarms um, from the dust. And the Bureau of Meteorology back then, they issued a severe weather warning across the state because of damaging winds. So it was a very windy day that day too, from what I can remember. They were around 60 kilometres an hour around the time when the dust storm approached the city in the early hours of the morning and it gusted up to 90, 100 kilometres an hour. Pretty significant weather event. Um And the temperatures back then, I think on that day, were in the low 20s. So the sun was, yeah, as I said, the sun did rise about 20 to 6 on this particular morning and even at 7am it was a dark orange haze. So, yeah, I remember driving to work about 10 quarter past 6 and it was, uh, the headlights were definitely on and it was just an orange glow. Um, and many, many residents took to social networking sites, um, mainly Twitter, because Twitter was pretty big back then as it is now. Um, and that the schools were still open. But, uh, gee, I'll tell you what, that was a uh, a pretty significant event that happened today exactly 10 years ago. Now, that's two events I was talking to about that and the Sydney Olympic uh, winning bid back in 1993. For those that weren't around back then or weren't alive and would like to see those images, if you Google um, Sydney Dust Storm 2009 in Google and then click on images, there are a ton of images there and articles about what happened in the event. 
and the 1993 uh, winning bid to host the 2000 Olympic Games. They've also got photos um, and several videos from news and media, Channel 10 and Channel 9. Uh, you can see coverage of uh, as it happened in the early hours of the morning back in uh, 23rd of September 1993. So, so there you have it, two significant events on this day. Next month, it'll be approaching five years since I moved from Sydney to the Gold Coast. And I was speaking about time in the last segment about how quick it goes these days. And that five years has flown. Um, about a week or two after South Sydney, my beloved South Sydney, won the 2014 grand final, I got a phone call to say I got offered a job up here and I was up here quick smart. I'm going to do a podcast next month and I'm going to, um, it'll be primarily about what I love about Sydney, what I love about the Gold Coast and what I dislike about both Sydney and the Gold Coast and whether if there's any chance that I will move back to Sydney in some time down the future. Now, the Gold Coast is getting busier and busier and um, I'm starting to get a bit frustrated. The M1 motorway that goes from Gold Coast to Brisbane is at times a standstill in certain sections, not all sections, especially down where I live, down near Rabina. They're doing roadworks and they're widening it from two lanes each way to three lanes each way, so it'll be a six-lane motorway. And um, it's long overdue and it's a bottleneck around here. A lot of schools are near the M1 motorway where I live and uh, when it's school drop-off and pick-up time, traffic is an absolute mess and uh, I am only a 13-minute drive to work when the traffic's running okay. It can take me up to 40 minutes to get home now. When I first moved up here five years ago, I was home in 15 minutes. So that just shows the amount of people that are moving up um, from the southern states and are flooding the Gold Coast. And the shopping centres are no better off. I wouldn't say that the shopping centres in Sydney are any busier than here on the Gold Coast. I shop at Rabina Town Centre. It's about a five-minute drive from where I live. And I think it. people must think it's the only shopping centre in southeast Queensland. Well, there's about seven or eight you can go to. For some reason, everyone wants to go to Rabina and the shopping centre, the car park, I reckon quarter of the cars have got a New South Wales number plate. So obviously people from Tweed Eds, Mwilumbar and northern New South Wales want to do a road trip to Rabina Town Centre. And um, I'm wondering how many people do actually work up here or are unemployed because on my days off, there's a hell of a lot of people at the shopping centre, even on school days and work days, and a hell of a lot of children at the shops during school days as well. So I'm presuming that those kids are from interstate or they've been pulled out of school um, and they're up here on holidays. But uh, it's amazing the amount of people that we, in my opinion, that don't work up here. There's a lot of unemployment, but they seem to get by. So uh, that's something I might elaborate more on my next podcast. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week ahead, and we will catch you next time. Bye for now. Wow.